Welcome to another chat. Um, uh, I'm pleased to say today um, I'm chatting with uh, Carl Hegarty, um, who is the author of a new book called The Accidental Business Nomad. Carl's been in Singapore for quite a number of years and um, has you know, massive depth of experience in business um, between cultures um, in particular. And I think that's an area that, um, that, that, that Carl has sort of slightly specialised in over the years. And the culmination of that specialisation is, is this book. And um, I think that uh, it's certainly something that most of us that live abroad have lived abroad or deal with different, you know, commercial cultures um, will have an interest in. So, um, Carl, thanks so much for uh, joining me today. Yeah, thanks for the invite. Absolute pleasure. So, what was the catalyst for you to, to, to you know, to, to put down all your experiences into a book? You know, it was it was history repeating itself. Uh, I've been here for 15 years, and I set up a business that was a marketing agency that essentially helped Western companies expand into the region, Southeast Asia, typically with their sales and marketing spear. So, I ended up having companies from Australia, Western Europe. Uh, America, North America, coming over and setting up shop in a place like Singapore or Hong Kong. And I saw that they were making the same mistakes over and over again. In fact, it was the exact mistakes that I had made when I came here. And so, and I'll give examples of that in a minute, but to me, there was sort of this moment where it was like, yeah, this is such a repeatable pattern uh, not only is there a business opportunity, but there's a story that should be told. And I think that there's lessons that anybody can learn because this doesn't seem to be going away anytime soon. And I'll give you a quick example. I had this client <clears throat> early days from, from Texas. I, I kind of pick on Texas a little bit in the book, but um, he sent me over. He was the, he ran a little tech company, cloud computing company that, uh, and he wanted to, expand into Southeast Asia. And so what he ended up doing was sending me all of his marketing material and it was very US centric to the point where it had baseball imagery, uh, US spelling. Again, you know, nothing wrong with that in the US market, but pretty uh, missing the mark much, pretty much missing the mark in any other market. In fact, suggest, you know, showing that the company wasn't taking the market seriously. And I pointed this out to him and he got really frustrated because I don't think he was mentally or uh, fiscally ready to invest in all the localization that I was recommending. Uh, and he got really upset and he just said, you know, just why don't you just slap a dragon on it and make it Asian? <laughs> and, and that was like the moment for me where I kind of knew, you know, he's not the only guy doing this. Uh, companies of all shapes and sizes are in some cases literally <laughs> putting just dragons on their product or, or you know, <laughs> even then their, their mindsets. Uh, and it just doesn't solve the problem in a rapidly globalizing country, region, world. Uh, we've got to be a little bit more savvy about how we go global. So that's what I'm trying to do here in this book. Yeah, I'm sure. I mean, that's a good example of, um, of one of the kind of, you know, West to East kind of assumptions yes. is that you can just kind of, 
take exactly the same thing, turn it red, put a dragon on it, um, and off you go. And obviously, it's very, um, it's a lot more complicated than that. Uh, well, and the, the thing is, is you know, and, and then you start poking around and looking at it, and it's not just, I mean, the, the book is written from a Westerner's perspective and Western's op observation, but what's happening is that it's a worldwide phenomenon. So you can, you know, while I probably am picking on Americans, I think I pick on some British companies, and I'm, I'm trying not to name names for the most part, because everybody's guilty of this stuff. Yeah. Uh, but this is happening on the other way as well. So I, I think I think there was a chapter, I think we rewrote, re retitled it, but essentially it was when slapdragons go from east to west, which is what we've seen, you know, Chinese companies um, acquiring Singapore businesses, applying their approach to, to management. And the results in the short term have been disastrous. There's a couple of very notable examples here in Singapore, but and elsewhere of, of country or sorry companies from other parts of the world basically just applying their way of doing business in foreign markets that just don't put up with that anymore yeah i mean it's interesting because you'd kind of assume that that's a given or quite obvious it's, it's but it's not necessarily i was thinking as you were speaking then it was reminding me of kind of the stories of american um uh owners of premier league football teams that yes. would have to be informed yes. by the um by the chairman of the team that there was such a thing as relegation and there is the potential for them to, to no longer remain in the Premier League and you know even things to that extent um, right right yeah. you go you go oh my god I mean and and um yeah it's a perfect example I, I actually wrote about um a Malaysian who bought into the um the UK uh, it was uh, which one was it it was Cardiff I think okay by Cardiff I think it was Cardiff yeah, I and, think that is a Malaysian owned uh, club. Yeah, and he tried to change the logo. He yes. did change the logo. He, he 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 again. It was like I I wasn't I wasn't going out looking for literal dragon examples, but but I kept finding them, so I kept writing about them. Uh, uh, Victoria's Secret tried to go into China, and they did this big uh, <laughs> event where they just had all these women in in dragon underpants underwear and. Um, <laughs> And China just looked at it and just laughed. And I, I think um, I think the the Victoria's Secret as of now, I think the Victoria's Secret investment in China has been a, been a complete failure. Yes. Uh, but yes. going back to the the guy in, um, who bought Cardiff, that took years. He um he changed the uh, it was the it was the blue bluebirds. That's not yeah, right, Cardiff. Yeah. He, did he not change the color as well? Because. Yeah, he changed. He changed, so it was originally the Bluebirds, and it had been a uh, it had been a, a team for what over 100, 120 years. Yeah, uh, you know where, and and he changed it to the um, to the Dragons. So he made it. He tried to teach. Or he changed it to the Red Dragons. And his his argument was, well, in Wales you've got that Welsh dragon, so we'll just kind of sneak that guy in, and no one will notice. <laughs> and that yeah. didn't go over well at all. <laughs> so it's, I, yeah, you, could, you could make an entire book just on. Uh, on uh, on football stories <laughs> yeah no, true and in a way i mean it's um you can laugh at it and it's ridiculous in some ways but also it's a kind of if you don't really you know get into the weeds about how things are different or think about it at all it's quite it's kind of you can kind of understand the kind of logic that gets to these sort of ridiculous places and um and, and, and that's on a corporate level and i think when you're looking at businesses and you know how, how they present themselves in different regions you know i think that's obviously you know i'm sure you would attest companies are getting shrewder but 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 also it filters down to management technique as well and yes. how you address people 
Europe is the same. You know, people in uh, in Holland are famously um, uh, to the point. Um, you know, compared to British sensibilities, um, uh, and I think that 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 kind of cultural change, particularly in a country like Singapore, maybe where you know the business language at least is is British, and there's a kind of you know sense of 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 kind of Western trade having been present within Singapore for many years. Mm -hmm. Same with Hong Kong. Mm -hmm. Um, yep. You think that maybe that you know there's going to be this quite sort of simple crossover of cultural sensibilities in a workspace, and that is way off. <laughs> yep. Hugely, hugely. Yeah, I mean, uh, just check the Ministry of Manpower and and the list that they have of Western companies who aren't hiring and promoting enough locals. And you talk to those companies, and they go back and they go, "Look, we don't have, the, we can't find the talent." And it's a it's a generally a misunderstanding. It's a, it's a mismatch, and I think that it's uh, in that case it's not necessarily about a product, uh, goofy product. <laughs> it's about goofy management styles, uh, simply just not understanding one another. I mean, it's not it's not always that simple, but oftentimes uh, foreign managers come in, and they bring their own communication styles. You know, you mentioned the the Dutch and you know the direct Dutch and sort of the the direct Americans and the uh, and and you know you can you can kind of use some of those phrases and they are, there's a fine or maybe it's a gray line between stereotyping and generalizing. Um, but one of the things I bring up in the book is the fact that there's actually decades of research that's been done on this. This isn't just you know guys at a bar after work kind of picking on 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 a on an ethnic group, it's it's uh, it's a worldwide phenomenon of people who have obviously note you know there are no notable differences in cultures. So there is an entire industry where they have sought out to measure what those differences are all about, to put clear definitions to what we're talking about, and then to be able to compare and contrast what it looks like. So, for example, I've used the phrase working styles. Working styles can be things like communication styles. Uh, British versus American have you know, very different communication styles. Uh, we also have different ways of handling conflict. We have different ways of giving feedback. And that's not just British American, it's, it's everybody, right? So yeah. if, you can, if you can measure each of these, dif these differences and put these on a, on a graph or start visualizing this stuff, once you see it out there, then you can actually take steps to try and manage it. And that's what I've been doing from a business standpoint, but that's what I wanted to write about as well. Yeah, I, mean, I think it's also quite topical as well. I mean, I think it's very interesting because I think that anyone, anyone that has lived or worked abroad or worked with foreign teams would agree with this. And, and potentially during this kind of, you know, this, our COVID era, if it's sadly sort of becoming an era, um, yeah. you, you know, people are now, you know, communicating with different teams in different locations in a, you know, in a kind of more regular way, not face to face, mm -hmm. but kind of through, 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 through Zoom and things. And yep. that, that will have its own challenges as well. It's very different just flying in, taking them out for a dinner and then flying out again. If you're actually practically managing from abroad different countries, it's going to be, you know, going to be genuinely quite, quite challenging. I think that one of the trends, and I'm looking for I'm looking for this to be studied and, and tracked a little bit more thoroughly. But one of the trends I'm seeing is that cross-border communication within organizations has increased since COVID hit. Uh, and if you think about it, it makes sense. So the economy all of a sudden hits this very uncertain future. Uh, business models have been shaken, 
And so what used to be maybe a quarterly or once or twice a year business trip where you go from region to region to catch up and bond with people and kind of figure out how things are going, all of a sudden, nobody could do that. And at the same time, everybody was a click away on Zoom. So all of the people I'm talking to here, the managing directors who are responsible for Singapore, for the region, they're doing a lot more late night calls than they were before because they're communicating more now back to headquarters. So it, it seems to me that uh, there's actually more cross-border communication this year than there has been in, a, in the last few years, which is kind of interesting. Yeah, it is. And also, you know, a granular level as well. So <laughs> if you look at this, um, you know, companies about, are now very interested in being what they would call diverse, but, but generally yeah. di that diversity is in a location. So that could be a diversity of skin color, of gender, of creed. But broadly, the diversity comes from the perception of most people being culturally of one place. So, you know, a UK office is looking to be, um, you know, diverse um, and reflective of a kind of UK society. And, and often that kind of, that view of diversity doesn't necessarily recognize then you know, cultural diversity, because you could right. be, you know, um, you could you, you could be a white person from Russia or a white person from Ireland. You right. might have two very different approaches to work and engagement. And I think that's well, that, uh, a kind of interesting challenge now for companies to start, you know, recognizing that, of course, it's sensible to look for kind of more um, a, a, you know, positive um, correlation between society and the companies that, that you know, they operate in, but also there's more to it than just paint by numbers um, people are yeah. different. It's actually culturally people are different. Yeah, th th there's one phrase which I, I like, um, which is cognitive diversity, which is, okay, like, let's, let's just kind of assume for a second you've, you've colored by number, right? You, you've, got, you've got all the colors and every, every, you've checked all the HR boxes and you're, uh, yeah. you're flying. But then, then what, so there, there's two problems. One, you could do that and hire everybody who's still exactly like, which is kind of interesting, right? Like I've, I've yeah. been in uh, some businesses, there's tech companies that are guilty of this, some finance companies where they've got the most on paper, diverse looking groups that you could imagine. But then you talk to them and it's like the biggest echo chamber you could imagine because everybody is thinking the same way. You get groupthink, you get uh, unconscious, you know, you get like all of these, these uh, confirmation bias, which ends up happening because everyone's thinking the exact same way because, uh, because they hire for a, they hire for culture fit, which is actually a dangerous thing to do as well. What you're lacking is um, cognitive diversity, people thinking differently. Uh, there's a power to people thinking in a more collectivist type of way versus an individualist way versus a hierarchical way versus a egalitarian way. And it's hard to manage a team like that, right? I mean, it's, it's arguably more difficult to manage a cognitively diverse team than it is a homogenous team that all think alike. Because if everybody thinks alike, yeah, it seems like it's easy. Where it gets interesting is if, if you can figure out how to play nice with people that have fundamental different ways of approaching, especially business, if you can figure out how to overcome that, that's where you actually get innovation. That's where new ideas come in. Uh, I mentioned that I don't usually pick on companies, but I will pick on, uh, I'll pick on Uber. Uber was a really interesting example of a Western, of an American company coming into Southeast Asia with what they believed was the end-all be-all business plan. 
uh, and they slapped a dragon on their Southeast Asia approach. They, they, yeah, they, you know, they used some local imagery, but that was the end of it. They did not adjust to what local feedback and local competitors were doing. Um, they were being run by headquarters and they were bringing in Western execs uh, from, from California to run the region where you've got their competitors, they're building out, you know, financial services components. They're, they're building the, what's turning into super apps. They are doing things on motorcycles. They're increasing, you know, their food delivery and product delivery. And they, this is stuff that their competitors were doing now almost 10 years ago, which I, as I, as far as I understand is only now being starting to be rolled out in the U S. Uh, and their competitors ate their lunch because they just innovated and were more, you know, locally relevant. So it's kind of, I, that, that's a, that's an expensive example of, of uh, what I would argue would be a lack of cognitive diversity. Yeah. And then um, it's a good one as well, I think, you know, because it's such a recognizable name when it came to, to Singapore, for example, everyone was quite excited, but it kind of came and it left uh, and other ones have replaced yeah. it. Um, that's right. And then for, for, for your, you know, in your, over your 15 years out here is, you know, are, are you finding what you're offering, you know, the ideas and the solutions, you know, and maybe move on to some of the solutions that, you know, that, that, yeah. that you, you know, that you, you believe in that can, you know, help companies or individuals, you yeah. know, when there's this sort of cultural mix. But have you found people more receptive to the, to the idea that you need to take on board differences or is it still, you know, you know, put, pushing a boulder? It, 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 it's, it's a mixed bag. Um, you, when companies are uh, rapidly expanding, they kind of aren't really thinking about the, the people stuff. And it's the people stuff that ends up eventually starting to cause these roadblocks. Uh, the, my phone rings when something goes wrong. <laughs> yeah, uh, like so I, I, I would say that... Um, I would say that I don't see a huge kind of global aha moment saying this is actually something that we really need to uh, structurally address. But the more people go through the process, the more people who get burned once or twice, that's when, that's when they start going, okay, wait a minute, we need to figure this out. For example, here we're talking at what, where is mid-November. I'm starting to get a lot more business now from the regional virtual teams that no longer can meet up every few weeks, every few months. And they're all realizing next year is not going to be much different at all. Uh, there, you, you can't hop on a plane anymore and head over to your Ho Chi Minh office to have a dinner. It's just ain't happening in the next, you know, X amount of months. Yeah. So companies are now saying, you know what, we need to develop stronger virtual team agreements. And so that's, that's what I've been spending my time doing now, um, which is good for me. And I, th I think it's the right thing for companies to be able to do, which is how do you take you know, a virtual team? How do you continually assess how the communication is working? How do you make sure that these little um, uh, uh, silos aren't building? Because what, what typically happens when people go virtual is that some relationships get stronger and then a majority of the other relationships get weaker and you end up with stronger silos. 
And the second something goes wrong, that's when those silos kick in and, and cause some real problems. So I think the smart companies are the ones who are saying, look, let's, let's make sure we've, um, you know, are constantly reassessing how this is going and how we can make this better, not just from a teammate standpoint, but also just from like a, you know, a human well, well-being standpoint. I mean, this, this is, for, for a lot of people, this is, this is, this is new and, and strange. So we've got to be looking out for each other as well. Yeah, that makes sense. And then, you know, actually on, on the business side as well, you raised it, it's quite interesting. How's, how's it been this year for you? So, I mean, you know, you have a bit of background to yourself, you know, you do coaching within companies and, um, yeah. Well, I'll let you describe what you do, but it'd be interesting to see, you know, what threats you thought at the beginning of the year and what kind of the outcomes have been as we get to the end of it. The, um, so the, the, I came over here years ago, I set up this marketing company. Uh, the marketing thing still kind of happens, but really I pivoted and just, I found more interesting to do training and consulting. Uh, I still do some of the marketing stuff, which, which is fine. But what I now do more of is group teamwork, which is like, I kind of umbrella it under communications work, which is how do we communicate better internally, but also to our customers or our, our prospects? And how do we apply that to global teams or regional teams where these cultural differences can play in and, and can catch people up? So what I'm doing most of the time is workshops and coaching and training around those topics. At the beginning of the year, uh, things were just like fine, but uh, my biggest clients were those who were probably most globally focused, meaning travel companies and hotels. Those were my two biggest industries. I think my third biggest industry was uh, a, a large events marketing companies, management companies. So uh, I, had, I had some free time on my hands in uh, February, <laughs> March. But it enabled me to go, okay, like everybody else, we had to sit back and go, okay, what, what does this mean? Uh, and, and one of the cool things that you get is you can do a lot of this stuff virtually and you can help people virtually and you aren't bound to weird scheduling where you've got to get people from seven different countries flying in and they're going to spend three days and they're going to be not working. I can now get people from 10 different countries, 100 different countries together for 90 minutes. We can do that you know, once every two weeks or so. And we can have ongoing discussions about what I would argue is a pretty important topic. So the companies that are starting to understand that and be more flexible to how they approach L&D, learning and development, um, that's, yeah, that, that's keeping me busy. So that's, it's, that's definitely picking up. Yeah, interesting. And then the whole, yeah, and the remote world and, 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 and how Zoom worked. And I suppose for yourself, I mean, it's, I mean if you take away, I mean, the cost for you, obviously, someone's hiring you is to get you to a to b to c and in a way i suppose you know like a lot of things the travel budgets with companies you go actually you don't need to you know let, let's look at this it could be a lot cheaper than you think it's not just me it's i'm i'm actually the cheapest part of the equation oftentimes uh we were we were looking at a, a program we were bringing people in from i think eight countries wow and you've got they were going to fill singapore we're going to do a, a week-long event people from eight countries Think about, you know, the hotels, think about I mean, just all of the logistics, the time away from work for all these people. I'm the cheapest piece of that equation, uh, even, yeah. even when you factor in the fees, right? The training fees, the, the travel budgets were extraordinary. All of that has gone to zero. Um, and so the money for, the, for, I think as the dust begins to settle, as we start 
realizing you know what we can and can't do from an economic development standpoint I, th I think that's where i'm starting to get more opportunities uh where companies are seeing this as actually we can do this stuff we could we could do more training or better training now than we could a year ago at a fraction of the cost yeah. so there's there's tremendous opportunity now one of the things that everybody rushed into was online training and then then the cheapest version of that would be videos right people it's a piece of this there's some amazing content out there but if it's really recorded stuff you don't get the interaction especially the topic that we're talking about which is how do you get people in your specific team working together figuring out how to overcome their specific challenges you you can learn some theory from recorded videos but ultimately you've got to get people in a room whether it's face to face or virtual to hash this stuff out so you know that that's now starting to pick up a little bit more although the, I, I would say that the big challenge still for me and for everybody else is the zoom fatigue it's a, i think yeah. it's a very real real thing it's you know um to 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 network networking um and, and all the stuff i mean I got, there's, I'm sure we're, you know, we're all invited to like every single night I could get onto something and sit again at my computer for an hour and a half and stare at a little black dot. And, you know, is it good? Yeah. It's, it's probably benefit benefiting me. I can learn stuff, but man, it's tiring. So this, yeah. so no, I agree. This, this is tricky. Things sort of going away. Don't they really? It was a bit like, um, you know, how, for certain people they were able to work at home work from home wasn't the worst thing and then suddenly everyone's and then there's a real dogmatism to things so it's like right this is right that office is dead no one's ever going in yeah yeah everyone's yeah, gonna yeah. work forever zooms yeah. and anything like things just sort of swear that you kind of as the dust settles it kind of you know the pendulum swings back in some sort of you know hopefully a kind of you know positive way in which you get a bit of the best of both worlds which would be the I, I think so too i mean th there's no extreme on either side that's the correct answer if you if you're hearing from people who are saying that the office is dead they're trying to sell you something <laughs> 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 and vice versa and vice versa so i think that um what i am finding though and what i believe is distributed teams need distributed answers in other words, you're not going to have a company. When a company comes down from, from up, up top and says, this is our policy, this is what, you know, you're coming in on Fridays and on Mondays, or this is the way it's going to be. I, 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 the things that I've seen so far when you get this top-down rules-based approach, it's not being received well and it's not going over well because these other teams have their own things that are working and not working for them. So what I'm trying to encourage teams to do is to come up with their own rules, make the stuff work before uh, you, you, you know, someone from up top comes down and starts putting some rules in place that just don't make sense. I, I think a distributed answer is the way to go and it's going to look different for every team. Yes. Yeah. Well, and I, and I think you're right. What you said a bit earlier about that kind of you know, time does go quickly and, you know, the idea that it'll all be all right, you know, travel will, you know, resume in 2021 feels slightly optimistic now. And, you know, and, and, and that's, you know, it's sad, obviously, but also, you know, becomes a kind of, there's an acceptance to that fact, I think, that maybe we wouldn't have all accepted six months ago. Um, that, and, that's, and that's what I think strategically, I think companies should be planning 2021. Like, whatever you're doing now, it's probably going to be similar in, 
in 11, in 11 months. I don't know, maybe it's, maybe it's dangerous to make that statement in, in such a weird time. But uh, I, the point being is I don't think we're heading back to anything normal, you know, pre-COVID anytime soon. So companies should be strategically thinking that way, to me anyway. Yeah, no, I agree completely. And then, you know, again, putting, it, putting the conversation kind of back to the book, yeah. And, um, you know, I mean, obviously we want people to, you know, find out about it and, and, and read it themselves and we'll direct them to it, you know, when we finish the, the chat and I'll, sure. I'll put it on the link to, to the podcast. But, you know, I, I don't want you to diminish people reading the book, you know, I don't want you to summarize it in a way that no one ever needs to read it. But if you, you know, what one of them, you know, what's your main sort of, what would you want the main takeaway to be from people yeah. who read the book? Yeah, the, the big argument is that, Companies, organizations have gone global, but people have not. And so for people who are looking to upskill, to be able to be, you know, the, a way overused term, future ready, future ready is now. So how, how do you, you know, how do you be more prepared to work in a global setting to be more innovative, more dynamic, more agile? Uh, I lay out a number of ideas. I would say that there's three or four big ones. Uh, the first one is uh, process or self-reflection, introspection, and self-awareness. We all talk about this, but I walk through a couple of ideas as to what hopefully gets people to understand what makes you tick, what makes your coworkers tick a little bit more. That gets right into the cognitive diversity thing that we talked about earlier. The second one's this data, which I, which I think is still fun. It's like, and I don't get into huge details with it, but there is all this amazing cross-cultural data out there that actually tries in an organized and uh, definitely appropriate, it's not stereotyping, it's, it's using data-driven generalizations to better understand different working styles in different markets. If you can get your head around what that data is trying to say, that's a big step. And then the next piece is, okay, what are the actual tools that you can use to start gutting there? And I, and I try and outline all of that. And that's why I'm calling it the survival guide for working across a shrinking planet. Uh, what the book is meant to do is to just introduce these ideas, hopefully in a fun and easy type of way, get people curious. And then if they want to dig in deeper, there's definitely directions they can go with a, you know, within the team or on their own as, as a coaching option as well. That's yeah. what I'm up to. And then, um, you know, with the um, with the advent of, of of COVID, and then the book obviously being written before the end of yes. COVID, I presume. Yes. You know, has it been quite? Has it been? Prof I mean, hopefully, it's been. You know, I mean, it's been somewhat prophetic, as in all the things that you were guiding against previously. You know, in, in a way, thankfully for yourself, the COVID hasn't done it; just blown everything up. It's just no, exactly. Crazy. Yeah, that, yeah. This this could have gone worse. You know, we, we kind of <laughs> as because the book went was really submitted last December, and and you know as things were just blowing up, especially and the and it didn't come out until June because this thing went through a traditional publisher. So as as that kind of as that time was there, I'm kind of going, oh man, you know what? <laughs> does this thing hold up? And and I think it does because one of the big arguments is that. Uh, people now work globally, whether they have a passport or not. And so that was the argument that I was making last year. And you take that one step further and it's going, 
people are working globally whether they're allowed to travel or not. There's no difference. And so the, the conclusion and the answers are exactly the same. So one could argue that uh, the timing was actually, was actually good. If, if I had a magic wand, I'd probably change a couple of key words to make it more marketable, but the answers yeah. are exactly the same, right? It's just, uh, yeah, it was just published before, before this whole thing kicked off. Yeah, and thankfully you didn't do a chapter on how to survive global airports. Or... <laughs> it was funny because the, you know, the, the cover, it's, it's a guy with a, I don't know, he's, it's not a suitcase, but it's kind of like a, you know, it's a traveling, it, people look at it and go, oh, it's about business travel. Oh God, it's not, it's not really about business travel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. that, that'd be one thing I would change. <laughs> yeah, no, fair enough, fair enough. And um, no, I mean, I, I've started reading it and I've, I've, I've really enjoyed it. It resonates a lot with me, I think. Um, I think the... Um, when we, when we first met, you told me that it was quite a good story. I think about the, what was it, the guy that sort of, you know, managing style that almost cost the company a million in like a day or something. What was that story? Was it sort of European there, CEO of a marketing company? They, look, there are so many. Uh, oh, that's right. I actually, yeah, the, the, uh, he, he kicked off a meeting. It was the first time he'd met his team. And within 10 seconds, he said something and, and he wouldn't let it go. And it was, it would have been perfectly, not, not perfectly fine. He was kind of an ass, but it would have been okay had he done it in the US, UK. He was from France. France would have been fine. Yeah. But he caused all, all sorts of chaos here in Singapore. And, and the entire team slowly left within six months. But, but that was the moment that, that did it. Uh, it took another six plus months to replace the team. This thing was a multi-million dollar uh, mistake from a 10 second piece of a conversation where he was yeah. essentially just trying to introduce himself. <laughs> so, um, and that one's not even in the book. I, I think that was, I, we took that one out, but there's so many of those examples. Uh, in the financial services one, a, um, a mutual fund company had a team in Hong Kong as stock pickers in Hong Kong. They were looking at regional stocks and he had kept this one young guy out of Hong Kong, kept his eye on this one stock that hadn't gone public yet. Uh, but the culture of that company was very headquarter centric. It was a company based in the East coast of the United States. It was kind of hard to get a word in because the power structure was so U S centric. It was doable, but you'd have to step up and stand up and speak up. And culturally, that's not typical in other parts of the world. And so this guy never spoke up. And he kind of inserted this idea into an email that got lost. And the stock he was trying to pitch before it IPO'd was Alibaba. <laughs> there it is. And I... And I was talking to the to the guy who ran the runs the entire international uh, group. And I just said this was years ago. And I go, well, how much do you think that that you know opportunity cost <laughs> lost you? And right off the bat, he goes, eighty nine million dollars. Great keep a track. <laughs> he didn't even need it. He was he had the spreadsheet in his head, just going like, and you know, it's it's that thing. It's like, why didn't you speak up? Why didn't you say something? And that guy is sitting in Hong Kong going, these guys don't listen. These guys don't let me get a word in. It's, a, it's an absolute typical misunderstanding. Uh, who's responsible? In that case, headquarters <laughs> is responsible. But everyone's responsible for figuring out how to work better together.
So you want to start putting an ROI on this stuff. That, that $89 million moment probably beats that uh, couple million dollar marketing moment. So the, the, the numbers tick up very quickly. They do, yeah. I think that, um, yeah, and I, I, yeah and I, I'd kind of encourage anyone that's listening that has, to, has a role in which they're either managing different cultures or working within a team um, you know, to reach out and get in touch with you. I think it's very valuable to, you know, to, to one, recognize that this is a, you know, a thing and two, to try and address it. And I think generally it's, it's always very well received. I, I know that we um, got you in um, yep. uh, uh, to, 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 to help with the kind of management team and, and the different cultural dynamics within our firm. And, you know, I think we benefited from it. And, uh, I, I right, think the good news to, to get in touch. There's good, yeah, there's good news and bad news. The good news is that it, it really doesn't take that much to get the ball rolling and just to get the conversation started. That's good news for companies. It's bad news for my business model because I go in, I just kind of do a small little song and dance, and then it's your, then you guys figure it out. But, um, but yeah, I, I think that those conversations have to be done in the right way. It has to be done in a safe environment. I love the data and showing the data because it's a great, again, like kind of arm's length way of bringing up potentially sensitive topics. Um, but using using data to to drive the discussion, so that it's been going really well. I think the book is is definitely well received. It, it, it's um, it's it's meant for people who kind of want to laugh about this stuff because hopefully you, you'll notice it's it's written in a somewhat it's not tongue in cheek, but it's supposed to be lighthearted and have a couple yeah. of uh, funny anecdotes in there. And and it's also meant for people who need to understand that these gaps and these challenges exist, uh, especially if they're not traveling that much and they're not seeing it face to face every single day, but still could be contributing to the problems. Uh, so that's kind of who I'm, I'm, my audience is. Anybody who's got these global international teams and who's wrestling with these types of communication issues. Yeah, good, cool. So look, I'll, we'll leave it there, I think, Carl. I'll, I'll put a link to, to, to the book it's on Amazon, obviously, yep. um, and can be purchased there. And, and I'll put your email on there. People want to get in touch. You do a good newsletter, which is always very interesting. And yeah, um, people can reach out either to me directly or you know, directly to you just to, to, to have a chat about you know, topics raised today. Um, Perfect. I, I, I've really enjoyed it. It, it. It's always resonated with me a great deal, what you're trying to, uh, trying to achieve. And I think to some extent it kind of, you know, on a commercial perspective, you know, you're married to a British person, I'm married to a Singaporean. I think we'll say, like, when you, if, you, if you marry people from different places, this isn't such a shock that people are culturally different. Um, but it's <laughs> naturally pulling that into kind of a professional um, arena and then it really, you know, accentuates it as well. And I think that, you know, it's very valuable, to be honest. Yep. Yeah. Don't, don't, um, don't send anybody my way for like marriage counseling or anything like that. <laughs> that's, uh, that's way above the pay grade. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, that's cool. Good stuff. All right, thanks so much for your time, Carl. Thanks, uh, We'll catch up soon.